Hey, this is Karen Hunter and welcome to The Hub. One of the beauties of having these podcasts is my ability to talk with people, ordinary people and some very extraordinary people about topics that I would never necessarily cover on my radio show uh, because they're a little controversial. And this discussion with Rick Willard about the Negro Book of the Dead and then the actual Book of the Dead uh, was one of the most lively conversations I've had about a topic that... um, Actually, I don't think I've ever had a discussion about the Book of the Dead with anybody until I talk with Rick Willard. And I hope this sparks a conversation with you and your friends. And I really hope you enjoy this uh, podcast with Rick Willard. And we're discussing the Book of the Dead and the Negro Book of the Dead. And welcome to The Hub. So you were telling me about this play you went to see? The Death of the Last Black Man in the Whole Wide World. It was on Broadway? AK, it was off-Broadway, actually. <laughs> I know. It's like, I don't remember. That's not a- next a- to Lion King. A.K.A. The Negro Book of the Dead. The Negro Book of the Dead. And it was written in such a way as it, as it emulated the Book of the Dead, if you've ever read any part The of Egyptian it. Book of the right, Dead. Mm-hmm. Right. It has that sort of... Wait, so, uh, what, so, so, so hold on. Hold on. Hold on. First of all, we're going we're gonna to okay. do this. All right. That's, so, that's great. I actually purchased the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Mm-hmm. When did you purchase yours, and when did you read it, and oh, why? Oh, I read it when I was in college. I read it a long time ago. Why? I was reading sort of all things uh, African at that point. I went to Howard. Okay. And so I, I was reading a, a bunch. I read the Metunetir and all these other different kinds of things, all kinds of stuff. So when I, when I read the Book of the Dead, um, the, a lot of things stuck out. But Amin Ra, right? Mm-hmm. You know, sun God. Mm-hmm. And then I realized the connection between Amin and the Bible mm-hmm. and Amin Ra. And I realized the connection between Egyptian um, worship of gods and things in the Bible. And then I started reading about who wrote the Bible. Uh, And so if we were to believe that the Bible was written, inspired by God, but written by Jewish people who were under (laughs) Egyptian rule, right? Then the stories of, uh, you know, the different stories told mirrored. The Old Testament, yeah. And then the New New Testament is more by committee, by the Romans. Right, right. But those stories mirrored a lot of the stories told in on the hieroglyphs in oh, yeah. ancient Egypt, and then the Romans stole like Romulus and Remus, and then there are all of these you know creation stories that the Romans, because they're b- the biggest thieves in the world. Um, <laughs> so, so all right, I mean, but the the brilliance of the Roman Empire is that they just incorporated all of that into sure. what they did, and so I always thought the that was brilliance of America. Yeah, how about that? Well, the New Rome, right? In many ways, if not careful, suffer the same fate. And there is that. Okay, so let's get back to the Book of the Dead. What did, what did you get out of it? Well, the the play, the play was fascinating. It 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 basically starred a group of characters in ensemble. Um, uh, there was the Piccaninny, there was the uh, Sambo, there was the newscaster, there was the 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 slave hand holding a watermelon the entire time almost. It, 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 Somebody holding a watermelon. Yeah, no, okay. and, and the watermelon said, "You know, I can't move my arms." So he's weighed down by this this iconography, right? That he didn't invent. It, it was just, it was something that I think everyone should see. The audience was more than mixed. It's actually predominantly, um, you know, Caucasian audience, and it was fine. It, I think people, it it got some serious as much as it crossed, and I think that I had never heard of it until a friend of mine took me for my birthday last night, and. Happy birthday. Thank you mm-hmm. so much. And I'm I'm glad it's actually next week, but that's okay. Um and I'm glad that she did because it, it uh it highlighted a lot of the uh stereotypes and a lot of the visual language used. Uh and also the the inner language of 
of being black in America that was then sort of brought out to the surface for a mainstream audience and, mm. and very understandable mm. in the in the sort of syncopation of the Book of the Dead, like sort of repetition mm. of points over and over again and coming back to points and then moving forward to, to descriptions like the Book of the Dead kind of does. The images of black people, I've been uh, using my show to re reverse engineer propaganda, which is tough, right? Because we're talking about 400 years of engineering, right? Here in the new world mm -hmm. and then several thousand, you know, outside of the new world, you know, because for many people, you know, Egypt, they don't view Egypt as a nation of black people. They don't view Egypt as a nation of even Africans, you know, right. um, when they think of the, you know, the vast accomplishments, which is just about everything, um, including the birth, the seed of humanity. So, Mirrors, so we, yeah. running water, combs yeah. for hair and yeah. all kinds of stuff. Uh, autopsies. I mean, you know. Autopsies, we, you heart, know. heart uh, surgery. And yeah. Brain surgery. Brain surgery. Yeah. Um, math, science, you know, mm -hmm. some argue chess, you know, whether it was eight. Forms and, of it. Yoga. Right, yoga. And and those who want to claim China, I take them back and I'm like, if you look at the map, you know, not, you know, even though cartographers refuse to give the exact correct size of Africa, mm -hmm. right? But if you look at the map, China fits in very neatly with Africa if you pull remove the body of water. The, the, I mean, the lands actually meet. So it would be logical to think at one point those are the same people. Well, yeah, the, the Pangaea thing, right? It's It was all one land mass, more or less, and then broke apart with tectonic shift. That's just a scientific fact. Right. So, so those people are those people are the same people. There are skulls found in China that look very similar to you. Well, some, some say, yeah, that, that the original Chinese were, in fact, Africans who had migrated, and then they, you know, the, the other sort of Africans and Albinics who mixed with, you know, Neanderthal. It's all theory. That, and then they came from the north and came down and had a big fight for China. And then that became the, Mongolians the and Han Dynasty yeah. and all of that stuff. Yeah. So as a black man. Zoo Dynasty. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you consider yourself a black man? You know, I, I, I struggle with the word black these days. Mm -hmm. I struggle with the identity of black these days. Not because I have brown skin, which I proudly wear. It's more about the agreement that that is the only demarcation, the agreement that that's the only language that can be used. When I look around me and I look at you, I look at Jameson, I look at other people who also have brown skin and look at the diaspora of brown skin around the world, blackness is a construct to me. It's mm -hmm. a construct that was invented so that whiteness can exist. And without blackness, there can be no whiteness. And this is actually a big part of this play last night, was all this black language, all this black iconography, all of this blackness that was questioned as being part of identity um you know for lack for, for shorthand of course i say black sometimes you know just as black american but in reality it's it's to me and perhaps only to me but to me it's uh limiting no it, it's, I, I, it's self limiting in scope i and i think we do it as we do most things with such habitual repetition that we don't even think about how we identify ourselves. Because when right. I wake up in the morning, the last thing I think about is being black. Right. You know, I'm Karen first. You that's know? how I and see that's you. A, <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. But but I'm saying Karen's not even, you know, race, gender, whatever. It's my psyche, who mm -hmm. I am inside myself. Uh, and, you know, I'm very familiar with who she is. I uh, love her immensely. Sure. And, you know, brush my teeth. And 
I don't even get caught up in my gender or my race until somebody makes it a, an issue for me outside of my home, outside of myself. So I think, you know, if, if human beings are going to get to a place where human beings can start to deal with human beings on a human level, the stripping away of these monikers, these, these labels has to be at the top of the food chain certainly, for us, right? Certainly. And that's, you know, and some people would argue, well, then without discrimination, how would you know good from bad and... And, and quality from not quality. I said, well, that's kind of apparent. If a person's a decent person, that's a quality person. If they're not a decent person, well, then they're not a color. They're just, you know, not a, a decent person, a butthole or whatever right, you right. want. You know. So, the yeah, the, the whole color thing is 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 kind of moot, I think, in the twenty first century. And I think that you know, we talked about value last time that we had a conversation, and, and this reconfiguration, this reexamination of value, and what it means. Not only does it is that an important conversation in terms of, of, of money and finance. It's an important conversation in terms of humanity. Yeah, I couldn't and, agree more. Couldn't and, agree more. And, and one's value. I mean, there's a brilliant uh, TED talk that I saw, TED Berlin, and a young woman from Africa. This is just today also, oddly enough. Um, was talking about the very real cycle of debt that Europe has imposed upon Africa, extracting resources out of Africa at the tune of $500 billion a year. Wow. And then instead of paying for those fair, mar fair market rates, giving loans at usury rates and driving the continent into the ground. And so, you know, again, mm. that, that's sort of an agreed relationship, which is... Is a, it? A, but it, is it, is it, is, it, is, it, it is. fair if one party doesn't understand what's going into it? We're talking well, they, about... Well, now, now they understand it. And this young woman is emblemic of... A person who now understands. No, but I'm saying the folks that are making these deals clearly don't understand. Like Haiti made a deal with France mm -hmm. after it won its slavery. It won its slavery. Fan Square. It won, I mean, it's freedom. Excuse mm -hmm. me. Toussaint Louverture mm -hmm. and Dessalines. They won. They won. They beat the Haitian. I mean, yes. the the French uh, army. They won their freedom. Then they had to do a deal where they were in debt, indebted for the loss of property. Right? right, which is ridiculous, right? Because no other who conquers or who wins in a war and then has to pay a debt after they win. When does that happen? Someone always gains, and and from the disunity of the uneducated, um, that's where the opportunity has always been, right? So you find these sort of despots have been you know rising up in Africa for generations, taking most of that loan, leaving the country in poverty. Not and that's changing, by the way. Uh, it's changing, well, let me but pause it's you for a second. We're, we're talking about Rick Willard, whose business is technology, primarily yes. <laughs> in the. Not, not this. No, no, no. But mm -hmm. this, but this is. I'm, I'm challenging people. Everyone has to be like Da Vinci. Everyone has mm -hmm. to be like gotcha. Paul Robeson. We we don't have the luxury to have you know just we just are knowledgeable. We're school learned. No, mm -hmm. you need to know everything. You mm -hmm. know. So I'm imagining. This is why I knew that we could have this conversation. Because yeah, you know technology. But technology is is one one facet of who you are. Why you know technology is because you're a person that wants to know everything, and that's a that's a beautiful place. No, mm -hmm. I, whether you accomplish it, you know, you shoot for the moon. Mm -hmm. I'm similar. You know, I love knowledge. I want to know everything. I don't want to be ignorant. Now I know I can live a thousand lifetimes and never know everything, but damn it, I'm pursuing it like a mug. And I, you know, I'm challenging everyone listening to me. So I know. So so when we talk about the ignorant. You know, um, some willful, but in the case of, I was just reading something, um, just just 
yesterday and you know i was talking about this this construct of you know power and money and how people uh, acquire it and and the lack of knowledge and 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 at the end of the day you know our responsibility to know what deals we're getting into even if it's like a home loan you know that subprime lending thing happened because people didn't read the fine Mm -hmm. print now we can blame the banks but ultimately isn't the responsibility of the people that didn't read to know that there was a balloon payment to know that there was you know the interest rate was you know janky that you were getting this you know that was our responsibility and we didn't we didn't accept it right so where's the responsibility? Well, yeah, but also, you know, I come from advertising and left advertising because the job of advertising is to give you a headline and make you not read the fine print. The, a lot of the way consumerism works is it, it banks on people not reading the fine print and every communication is geared that way. So humans can, can't necessarily be faulted for that. They're just susceptible to the machinations of people who are very, very good at making you not read the fine print. Um, you know, I know lots of people like that. And that is the American way. If there's any American way, that's the American mm. way. Mm. So we've all, I mean, you know, there, one could argue that Trump is a great expression of this. He's, he's, he's the digital candidate. He's the Twitter candidate. You know, you had um, Barack Obama, who was a social media candidate, mm. which is a bit more fulsome, right, in its, in its connectivity, a bit more whole in its communication, mm-hmm. uh, and reached out to, like, the right demographic to get himself elected. Trump is the headline president. Forget the 40, fine print. 140 characters. Forget the fine print. Forget right. what he actually says. Mm-hmm. Look at the headline. And people are all too willing to do that because we've been trained as a society to do that. How do we untrain? How do we reverse engineer? How do we... Turn the TV off. When you get home, turn the computer off. Look up things that really matter. Stop Snapchatting. Stop looking at Kim Kardashian's butt. Mm. Doesn't matter. There are lots right. of butts out there. Right. You know, <laughs> hers isn't even the nicest. Yeah, and yeah. hers is you know so silicone. Right, so right. It's right. not even real. Right. So you know, get get real. Get, right. get real and understand that all of this is a show. All this is the Wizard of Oz, and that the big head is trying to tell you something. And when the big head tells you something, you have to question it. Always. Hey, I hope you enjoyed my podcast with Rick Willard, but stay tuned because coming up next is a bonus track brought to you by Harney and Sons. Go to harney.com slash Karen. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. And last time I had a conversation with this young lady, uh, we talked about money and I realized that um, she had a lot to say. (laughs) <laughs> and, and it got good to her. So she's like, when are we doing the next podcast? So here we go. Welcome to the hub, everybody. Let me introduce to you Tramel from the Godfrey Complex in the house. Hey, Tramel. Hey, Karen. What's happening? Oh, so much is happening. Okay. So you wanted to talk about a bunch of stuff, which um, last time people were like, man, y'all covered a lot. <laughs> we, really? We, really? Yeah, we went around the world and I, yeah, yeah, you know, we started with Tony Braxton, somehow ended up with Beyonce in the conversation. It was a crazy, crazy. All but it, it still remained on finance, right? Yeah, we stayed, we stuck we on the money. On we stayed on that. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, we were, we were having a conversation off mic. Now we brought it on mic. And let me just say, you know, this space is evolving for me because um, there's still boundaries, you know. Absolutely. Um, people are listening to this. It's mm-hmm. public. And so while a lot of people want me to be completely raw 
uh, I'm not going to be completely raw because unfortunately there's still some things I need to accomplish Absolutely. in other spaces. <laughs> right, right. But there are things we're going to talk about today that uh, you want to get off your chest because you haven't really had an opportunity. And I say this jokingly, you're, you're on a show where, you know, it's not your show. So you it's don't really get show. to talk. No. When you do talk, it's like, okay, that's good. I produce that show. You produce that show. And it's all about the host. But, you know, I want to get to a place where you can have your own podcast. So this is like training wheels. I'll sit here and be your training wheels. Go ahead. <laughs> what you want to talk about? Well, you know, the Kamala Harris thing is really bothering me. You know, uh, a lot of the callers would call in and they'd say, uh, I don't know if we can trust her. But how do you know that you can trust someone that you don't know, that you don't know, that you can't physically touch and get to know? All you have is a superficial presence that she's presenting to the world. But that's all you have with any politician from the beginning of history till now. You know what's crazy about that trust thing? Because I, I got it on my show, too. Back to back callers. Uh, I, don't, I can't trust her. I don't know if we should trust her. That trust, where is that coming from? I don't know. I have never heard anybody, can you trust Bill Clinton? Could, could you trust Bush, Reagan, JFK? I'm, I wasn't around for JFK, but like Can you Johnson? trust Jesse Jackson? Ooh. I mean, can, ooh, you, ooh. can you trust? Who can, we, who can you trust that right. you don't know? Right. And even people that you do know. Some of y'all, you have people in your own lives that you may be married to or entangled with that you can't trust, but I, you're still with them. I had an uncle uh, that has taken some things from family members. Yes, you know, we can't <laughs> trust him. Right, and we knew him is the right, point. Right, and loved him. Loved him, right. yes. But you knew you had to hide your toaster. Trust him. Yes. Because he might take it. Yeah, there you go. Right. Do we need to trust a politician or do we need to hold a politician accountable? Do we need to trust a politician or do we need... So I think the, the problem is, as black people, we have, we have a built-in, twisted um, hierarchy in our minds about what power is and how it, how it moves. Because, for, you know, go back to the 400 years. For 400 years, we didn't have it. I, so, think it's, I don't even think it's that. When, you, when I hear the word trust, I think of something so personal, so emotional, it's so intimate. You know, trust is an intimate, personal, emotional thing. And that is the exact opposite of what politics happens to be. It's not personal. It's not intimate. And it's, it, shouldn't it should be not be emotional. emotional. Yeah. So we got it twisted again. Yeah. We, we have to like somebody. And we have to feel uh, close to somebody. And this whole notion of the scrutiny around a woman who, again, I didn't hear the scrutiny around Elizabeth Warren, who came in first. She, she announced first that she was running. Right. I don't know what her policies are either. We're going to find out over this election cycle what she is or is not about. But I don't recall the scrutiny around Elizabeth yeah, Warren. Yeah, and why do we think that we can trust a woman who claims to be Native American without any proof? Oh, she's, she took doesn't her DNA. Matter. To, she's, I think, it doesn't one, matter. One, she's a, as much Native American as Donald as Trump. I am. No, you probably got a lot more. I'm looking at the redness in your skin tone. Oh, okay. uh, you probably yeah. got a lot Native, well, there, whether it's Native Caribbean or Native something. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's the different standards. It's, it's funny. So I was around when Barack Obama was running for office. I was a, a reporter, not a reporter. I was on the editorial board at the New York Daily News. I actually wrote the last piece from the convention where he gave that speech about red, I mean, there's right. not a red states and blue states, well, it was the United States. I was there. I was in the house. I was in the building. I wrote a piece saying that man could be president. And I was following him. Mm -hmm. People may not remember, black folks weren't supportive of him when he announced he was running. There was a lot of grumbling among very visible uh, civil rights activists and leaders. Yeah, with Obama, I remember black people who were prominent 
prominent in our community, people who had radio shows, who were activists, who questioned his blackness. Mm -hmm. I was there. I was in the room. I heard it. Right. And then all of a sudden, Iowa happened. And I was on the bandwagon from the beginning because I said, how you question a man's blackness? I said, all I need to know about, and this, I said this to this person, all I need to know about Barack Obama is that he married a woman from the south side of Chicago who was not a trophy wife because, you know, black men who are, you know, they, they get a woman that looks a certain, like Vanessa Williams. You know what I'm talking about, of black course, people. So of don't, yeah, yeah, black women who are trophy wives who show up in a way. That's not Michelle Obama. No. Okay. She was a woman that was, first of all, badass in the classroom, was his boss, was mm -hmm. his mentor, was somebody that might have been his intellectual superior. He married her. She's from the South Side, like hard scrabble South Side of Chicago. That's who he married. Right. That's who he had two two daughters with. So I said, I see a lot of y'all with women that you know are in the kitchen. You know, look good to show up to the different events, but they're not somebody intellectually that you can actually have discourse with that are going to make you better. This man actually picked a woman that made him a better man. And I said, that's all I need to know about his blackness. He's married to a black woman, and I know what that looks like. And then Iowa happened, where white people said Barack Obama could win. And mm -hmm. then all these bandwagon jumping Negroes. Right, right. You know? And so I'm like, are we doing the same thing to Kamala, or is it different because she's a woman? I don't know. It's crazy. So think back to Bill Clinton playing his saxophone on the Arsenio Hall show. We gave this white man the pass to be black, then told the black man he wasn't black enough, and now it's telling the black woman that we don't trust her because she's married to a, a white person. So all of those three candidates, Bill Clinton ends up being the, the blackest, blackest and the most trustworthy. Right. We are sick. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. Um, but let me, let me put the, take the black thing off the table for a second because I don't think skin tone or complexion should matter it in our shouldn't. selection, right? How black a person is shouldn't matter. It's what, what their policies are. Because here's the truth. Linda Baines Johnson would use nigger from time to time and didn't really give a damn about black people. But he was forced into doing some black things for, right. <laughs> for black people. Right. And that's all because Martin Luther King had a hammer that he was wielding. And when Linda Baines Johnson was like, no, Negroes, y'all need to wait. He was like, no, Negroes will not be waiting. And you're going to have a problem if you don't pass these bills. So he's like, oh, let me get to gather up these white folk from the South because he needed those Southern Republicans. And he's from Texas. Mm -hmm. Let me gather them up. And, and he made it happen because he was forced into it. Richard Nixon was known to call a nigga a nigga every now and then. Use the nigga word. He right. loved to do that. Right. But if you look at Richard Nixon's policies from affirmative action to putting money into black-owned businesses and building up the SBA for black people, he was forced into that. He may not have liked black people, he, but he flooded our community with drugs. You know, he did a whole lot of other things. That was his nature. But he was forced into doing certain things. George Bush, George Bush had a pact with black preachers. We could have this discussion. That could be another podcast that put money into black pockets, black owned home ownership under Bush was at an all time high. Yes, I know. I don't care whether you like me or not. That's right. I don't care whether you look at me as inferior. All I care about is whether or not you do what I tell you to do. And I want to co-sign on that. Under Bush, I was able to buy my first home. Yeah, yeah. 
it was a lot easier than it was ever going to be. And it, and it still wasn't easy, but it was a possibility that I followed through and became a home. There were programs project. available. Yes, there were programs now, available. Now, some could argue about the subprime thing, but again, you know, this goes back to the previous conversation we had about finances and being financially astute yeah. because many of us took loans that we knew we shouldn't have been yeah, taking. Yeah, you know if we you had, can't afford it. If but if we, you, you know, educate yourself before the process, there's less like, it's less likely that you'll be taken advantage of. And that's all we talk about. But on this Kamala thing and this power thing, and I don't know if she's the right candidate. I don't know whether I'm going to cast a vote for I don't know if she's going to even make it out of the primary. We don't. But what I do know is that she needs to be given a fair shot at answering some questions. Right. And, and while she does have a past, Mm-hmm. There's not a politician that doesn't have a past except for somebody that didn't have a, a record, like a Barack Obama, for, for example. One-term junior senator from, from Illinois didn't have much of a record for right. you to be able to go back and say, ah, oh. so all they was like community organizers, Saul Alinsky or whatever. You know, like they, right. they hit him with some dumb stuff, but they couldn't hit him with policy things because he didn't have enough of a record for you to be able to say he voted against this or he voted against that or he did this or that. She was a prosecutor. Yeah. Her job was to do what? Prosecute people. Put them away. That was her job. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I said on the show yesterday. Everybody, oh, she made sure that this officer got off and the officer shot this, you know, young man in the back. And that's horrific. But she is a prosecutor and her job is to win and she won. And I don't know how you condemn someone for doing their job. It may be a job that you don't like, but if you do it well, you just do it. And so I'm thinking that she's going to bring that same effectiveness, that same dog with a bone attitude to the White House and get some things accomplished. I've liked how she's handled um, many of these um, Senate judiciary hearings with Brett Kavanaugh and most recently mm-hmm. uh, with the attorney, new attorney general and, you know, just how she has grilled people, the questions that she asked, the uh, the unabashed way in which she's come for these people. I like that. She mm-hmm. looks like she's somebody that will fight. More importantly, will she, if pressed, change? You know, like change her position. I've already seen her change her position on the health care thing. Right. This is just in the last couple of days. Okay, let me look at that. Mm-hmm. Isn't that what you want in yes. a leader? Because, again, they work for us. I think we get it twisted. This is not our king or queen. Yes, This is I not know. some mystical person that's just going to, you know, uh, daddy or mommy yes this is somebody who works for us let's put it in proper order yeah, rigid is not trustworthy you know holding on to an ideal or an ideology because it's where you stand as a christian that doesn't work that doesn't work and if you're not going to bend you're going to break you know whether you break the nation or, or break yourself i don't know but that's where we are with these people you know these white people with their christianity and letter to the law it, it doesn't work so i appreciate well, well, par- her. partially because it's hypocritical their, yes. their letters and laws only apply in certain cases it's not across the board otherwise we wouldn't have the rampant racism that we have in this country right. and a host of other right. hateful things that are going on at the border etc and throughout the world you would care about what's happening in syria and freaking africa and all the places where there's genocide going on you right. would care if you were real christian because right. real christianity is not rooted in the land right jesus went everywhere the other thing that i want to address that came up on my show pissed me off and it, <laughs> and it was mostly the host he went on to say that oh the reason that we really can't trust, I don't care what anybody says, is that she's sleeping with this white man and it changes you because then y'all begin to think alike. I'm, I'm saying to myself, this is an established woman. 
she has several degrees. She's brilliant. And so she's going to wait to turn 48 years old and suddenly become a different person because of the man that she's sleeping with. Like, how do we ever question the mind of a man because of the woman he's with? Who, Harry Belafonte? Is he less of a civil rights activist because he's only been married to a white woman? Do we question I don't think Quincy so. Jones, we qu- who's not an activist, but we don't question his his commitment to black art and things like that. We don't question. Oh my goodness, I could we could be here all day. I'm not even going to bring in Sidney Poitier, Jermzel Jones, or like yeah, you're but right. But do we ever know. question even the white people that are in office? Do we question the mind? Wait, of- wait, so because every white person in office is sleeping with a white person. Every white person that we ever voted for is sleeping with a white person. Right. So do do we hold them to the same standard? It's just weird. It's like this. So is it a notion that a black person sleeping with a white person is somehow a sellout? 